Alrighty, we'll turn it in your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Timothy. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy, as the name states. As you know, in whom Timothy, or Paul calls Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, in using that title for Timothy, we obviously know that Paul uh, truly loved him very much. He obviously wants the best for him. And we have seen that, if you've ever studied the books of First and Second Timothy, but you can see that on the pages of both of his letters to Timothy, that he has not only tried to build him up in his personal life, just his own personal walk with Christ, but he also gives Timothy instruction and warning and counsel, direction, all of the above, as it pertains to the ministry that Timothy was involved with in Ephesus. Okay? You see, Paul and Timothy were at one time together ministering in Ephesus. And of course, at a certain time, Paul felt called by God to go off to Macedonia. Okay? And with lots of work still to be done, though, there in Ephesus, Paul asked Timothy if he would please stay there and finish the work that they have started. You're going to be on your own. I'm headed to Macedonia, but stay there. And of course, Paul is there to give guidance and help and so forth. Now, in case you're unaware of what this work was that Timothy was to deal with, the people in the church were being duped. They were being lied to on a theological scale. Matter of fact, you can even turn back to, uh, to the very beginning. Look at there. The very beginning of 1 Timothy. He comes out of the box in verses 3 and 4. He says, As I urge you, meaning Timothy, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, which means that was already taking place. Don't do it any longer, okay? Nor, he says, to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Right? This is the very first thing that he says to Timothy as he is there by himself, if you will, in Ephesus. Just flipping over to chapter 4, verse 7, he simply mentions to Timothy to have nothing to do with godless myths and what he calls literally old wives' tales, okay? because this kind of stuff was going through the church. Uh, chapter 6 in 1 Timothy, verse 3, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a mean, he says, to financial gain. Uh, one more, actually, right at the very end, verse 20 there, chapter 6, he tells Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. This work, the word of God, guard this to your care. Turn away from the godless chatter, the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. And I'll just read one more in 2 Timothy, right before our text this morning. In 2 Timothy um, chapter 2, verse uh, 14, warned these people before God against quarreling. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And he actually mentions a couple of people like that. This is just a really quick, short background on what is taking place there in Ephesus and what Timothy is up against. And of course, this is Paul's desire that he stay there and not become a part of this, obviously, but correct this, get them back on to the truth, true doctrine and a true theological path. Now, understand, and this is important, you've heard me state this probably many times throughout the years, but what a person believes 
affects the way they live. What a person believes affects the way they live. It's hard enough for all of us as we battle our own sinful nature, but added to that, when you have people of corrupt minds teaching things, a corrupt system, it becomes even more evident in their own everyday lives. You begin to see what they believe. You begin to see where they stand based on what they do and how they live. To quote MacArthur from 45 years ago, and you'll see how this is still relevant today. 45 years ago, it says, false doctrine and ungodly living are twins. They go together, and they are the greatest enemy of the church. The church will always be, has always been, plagued by false teachers, false apostles, false pastors, false preachers, and false Christians. Those who name the name of Christ say they represent God, but in fact, they represent Satan. They create confusion in the church. They create disorder in the church, and they keep the church in a battle situation at all times. And it's interesting, as I read that, I'm, the church is in a battle situation at all times. That is so true, even to this very day. But this is exactly, folks, what was going on in Ephesus at the writing of this letter. And it gives us an understanding of why, even right here in, in chapter 2, how Paul had told Timothy, you need to endure hardship. You need to be diligent. You need to rightly divide the word of truth as opposed to the others who were not doing so. Be an instrument of noble purposes as opposed to the others. Be useful to the master. All of these things were stated in the context of, of difficult times there in the church. And so Timothy is there to deal with these. Now I say all this to prepare us as we begin looking here at the beginning of chapter 3. <coughs> What was in this church and what would continue in this church really all the way to where we sit today was evil. There was corruption. There was every form of iniquity. And if you want to see uh, what following false teachers in the church will do, read with me, if you would, the first five verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm sure this is a section you have read before. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. That very last section, by the way, where it says have nothing to do with them is clear evidence that the last days he's talking about, he mentions there in verse 1, was not just talking about when Christ returns, okay? He's telling Timothy right here to avoid this is, is clear evidence that the mentality of verses one through four was already taking place. He's not saying, all right, guys, way in the future somewhere, this is what's gonna happen. No, it's happening now. This is why he said, guard yourself against it right now, okay? So let's begin by looking at Verse 1, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, many people read this, and you've all read it before, I'm sure, and many people simply think, well, as time goes on, right? As time goes on, the world and, and, and everyone who follows it, it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to get uglier and uglier. Now, I believe there is, there's some truth to that. There's, there's no question, okay? But remember, this is very important, folks. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's writing to help him in dealing with the false teachers who are having an effect on who? 
the church. The church, <laughs> okay? He's not saying, hey, there's going to be a bunch of real dirtbags living in the end times. No. He's dealing with false teachers. That's how he opened up, as I read earlier. I want you to stay there and deal with false teachers. They're in the church. And so he's writing this because they're having an effect on the church, the people, okay? So believe it or not, part of what is listed in these verses will be coming out of the church, okay? Now, if you've, been around, if you've been around long enough like I have, sadly, you may have experienced this firsthand. You look at some of these things right here, and you're, you're seeing some of it and going, yeah, I've known people to act like that. I've known people to live like that. I've known in certain situations those kinds of sinful attitudes come out of the people that I've attended church with. It's happened. Folks, when the church does not separate itself from false doctrines and those who preach them, depravity is going to creep on in to the church. And you've got to remember this, folks. That comes into the church in the form of people. There, there, there isn't just fog that sneaks in the front door. It gets in the church in the form of people, just like you and me. See? Now, the word terrible here, as he starts off, is obviously pretty self-explanatory, okay? As you read the next few verses, you can, you can define what the word terrible means. But what are considered the last days that he's, that he's talking about here? Maybe some of you have a translation that says uh, later times or last times, but they all mean the same thing. Well, it was used, and Dave spoke on this a few weeks back, but it was used in Daniel chapter 2, verse 28 as it speaks of Daniel interpreting the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Daniel says to the king, he says, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days, okay? Now, this is when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream of the great statue, right? You remember that? The text says... There was the head of the statue, and it was made of pure gold, right? Its chest and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Now, as we know from the text, he tells us that certain metals, okay, were told to represent, those metals were told to represent uh, certain kingdoms that would one day rule over the earth, right? Remember, there was Babylon, right? There was Medo-Persia or the Medes and the Persians. There would be Greece, right? Think of Alexander the Great. And then, of course, there would be Rome, okay? And therefore, in that text, the latter times were mentioned, we're actually talking about 600-ish BC all the way to the time of Christ. That's who was in charge when Christ was on this earth was Rome, right? Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up to preach, gave this phenomenal sermon. Just after the Holy Spirit had been sent down upon the people, Peter applied that time. He used it and said, well, this is what Joel spoke about, okay? This is what the prophet Joel had to say. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, okay? And so Joel said, in the last days, that's what's going to take place. Peter just applied that to what took place at Pentecost, and therefore, that Pentecost was actually the first pouring out of this Holy Spirit. There will be once again in the last days, because if you continue to read that section in Joel, or actually even in Acts chapter 2, it's about five verses. It talks about when uh, 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 the sun will be darkened, the moon will turn to blood, and so forth. Well, that's not going to happen until like, we're talking the second coming of Christ. Okay, so it will definitely happen then, but Peter also applied it there where it speaks of latter days. Other times, just real quick, when these words were used in the first century, 1 John 2.18 simply says, children, this is, he says like right now, this is the last hour. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20, Christ has appeared to us in these last days times. 
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In the past, he says, God has spoken to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You get that? These last days. Hebrews chapter, just the last one, Hebrews 9.26. The author mentions how the time of Christ's sacrifice was the consummation of the ages. Okay? So from this context here, from Paul and Timothy's perspective, the last days were there in the first century. There's no question about that. And therefore, by default, guess what? We're still in them today, aren't we? If the last days were in the first century, we're still in the last days today. And of course, as a result, theologians will typically look at the term last days and simply say it's pretty much from the first coming of Christ all the way until the second coming of Christ. And typically, this is known as the church age, the age of the church. Okay, So it's a pretty long period of time, all right? And in this period, I mean, from all the way back there a couple thousand years ago, we're still hanging in it today. In this period, he says in verse 1, there are going to be terrible times. Now, as we enter into this list of what is defined as terrible, um, I want to state one more time that we're not just talking about the world. So many Christians have just read this and just say, this is the world around us. Well, it's true. But is that specifically in what he's talking about? Not necessarily. There's no question that this is explaining the evils of, um, the, evils of the world, right? That's, that's not an issue there. But in context, that's the problem. It should only be the world do you see what I'm getting at? Sure, this is how the world lives. This is how the world acts. <laughs> well, the problem is it's going a little beyond the world. It's sneaking its way into where? The church. It's the church. But in Timothy's case, with this corruption of the false teachers in the church, he, they now have themselves uh, reflecting, if you will, the world's evil within the church. Okay, so I believe this is a, a depiction of the church and the danger that is in the church, if you will, from those who falsely represent God. Those teachers have an effect on us people, right? But they falsely represent God in many things. Okay, trust me, folks, if I gave you the job, if I said, here's your, here's your homework for this week, I want you to spend 24 hours watching TBN. Okay, the Trinity Broadcast Network. Now, you'll find a couple of people. They're like, okay, that's, they're legit, okay. A couple, trust me, that's about it, okay. But you, when you listen to those people, because that is the epitome of false teaching, you know, that is like the network of false teaching. When you look at that, you're going to go, oh, I know exactly what Darren is saying. <laughs> look at them, listen to what they say, listen to what they write, look at how they act, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Some of them can probably fill half of this list that we're going to look at today. It's sad, but it's very real. It's very real. Okay? Let's begin with verse 2. Understand, uh, I'm not going to spend a, a lot of time on each one of these, okay, because I want to get through them all this morning, okay? But the first thing he mentions here is, here's a problem. It's to be a lover of yourself. A lover of self. You can look at that as being self-centered. You can look at that as being narcissistic, okay? But this is where we get our focus even today on things like self-esteem, right? You hear a lot of this stuff, self-esteem, self-worth, self-fulfillment, positive self-image. Folks, if all I gave you were those four words right there, that in itself is every single um, <clears throat> speech you hear from Joel Osteen. That's all it is. Everything I just said, that is what it is. 40,000 people attend there every week. 
being suckered by this same garbage. It's the love of self. Read the list that he tells these people to think about themselves. Look at yourself. I am beautiful. I am wanted. I am blessed. I am, I am, I am. Wow. The pride of self-love is the all-encompassing deadly sin that really grips the human soul and is the foundation of all these others. It's like it begins there. All these other sins, if you will, begins with the love of self. One man said this, speaking of this list that we're going to go through, one man said this, this list might be called the sewer out of which the rest of these ugly sins are discharged. This is just a sewer which each one of these sins is discharged from. Every other sin you read, it's like it begins, it starts with self-love. A life that is focused on self means nothing matters more than you. That means when your love for yourself is raised, where is your love for God going to go? Well, you're not up there on double thrones, right? Your love for God goes down. It has to be lowered. It's no accident, folks, that Jesus said the greatest commandment is to do what? To love the Lord your God, right? The second one is to love your neighbor, to love others. We need to be commanded to love God and to love others. You don't find number three, oh, don't forget, love yourself. Nobody needs to be told that, (laughs) Matter of fact, in Philippians 2, 3, he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But he says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. He had to tell people like us because that's what we do. We love ourselves. We have to be told, you need to look at others as better than yourself. Stop the focus on you. Second thing he mentions here is the love of money the love of money. Folks, listen, the love of money and the love of self kind of go hand in hand here. I love myself, therefore I spoil myself. I deserve money. I deserve especially my money more than anyone. And I actually talk about that a little bit in a couple of sermons I've given on financial giving, right? I have a couple of sermons I give on occasion about financial giving to the church, right? You say you love God. You say you love his church. You say you love God's people. Yet when it comes to everything we have, we do, whatever the church possesses, you want somebody else to pay for it. Ken, you know what I call it, right? Spiritual welfare. That's exactly right. We talk about that, the love of money. Matthew 19, you remember the story of the rich young ruler? Remember that? He approaches Jesus. He says, hey, what, the, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Obviously, it's a bad question. You can't do anything to get eternal life. But Jesus goes along and he says, well, tell you what, have you obeyed the commandments? And he says, oh, sure. Well, we know that's a crock. <laughs> Nobody has obeyed all the commandments. But he says, sure, I've obeyed all the commandments. And Jesus, okay, great. Go and sell all your possessions and and give it to the poor, right? And then come and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. You, You know what happened, right? It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So it tells us his response. Jesus says, do this. The man is the one who asked Jesus, how do I get to heaven, right? Everybody wants to get to heaven. How do I get to heaven? Do this. And he walked away shaking his head. "Mm, Can't do it. Can't do it. He chose temporary wealth over eternity. Contemplate that for a second. He wants to go to heaven. But Jesus throwing it out to, to know where his heart really is. You don't obviously give away money and you're going to heaven. But to know where he's at, he says, do it. Give all your money away and follow me. Well, we know where his heart was. He said, no, I can't do that. I'd rather have wealth while I'm living on this earth and not go to heaven, is what he said. Boy, that's truly the love of money, isn't it? 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, great, great passage. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish 
and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money isn't just, that's a problem, you shouldn't do that. No, it causes all kinds of evil. It's like it's here at the top of the pyramid, and it just filters down into many problems in our lives. Some, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. They claim to know God. They claim to be of the faith, but the money was the pursuit they wanted more than that relationship. The next thing he says in this list, once again, remember these things apply to the church. This was happening. And that's being boastful, he says. Being boastful is simple, if you will. It's people who, who glory in making a big display of themselves. And the kicker is usually there's no basis in reality. <laughs> you really don't have anything to show the world, but you think you do, right? You're boastful of what? But that's neither to show yourself, look at me, even though there's really nothing there, but you'll do it anyway. The second one here is, is, is really, I shouldn't say the second one, is, uh, is similar to it, and that is the word proud. And by the way, I realize that some of you guys have different translations, so it maybe makes it a little harder to follow along, but I hope you're doing that. Um, you might have different words that are being used. But the next one is proud, and obviously you can see how that could be joined with the word boastful. And that simply means that you place yourself above others. Okay? You place yourself above everybody else. It's kind of like the parable of the, um, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? You remember that? Luke 18, Jesus said that the religious leader, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, right? There's, that, that's pride, isn't it? They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. How do we view ourselves versus how do we view others, right? I've said it before. We love to look at ourselves with a telescope, don't we? But we look at everybody else with a what? A microscope. You were listening that day. The next character flaw, if you will, he mentions is the word abusive. Uh, in the New American Standard, I think it uses the word reveler. We don't, we don't use that word too often. But he uses the word abusive. This might surprise some of you, but the Greek word there is blasphemos. This no-brainer, obviously, that's one of the words where we get our word blasphemy. Okay? These are people who not only have no problem verbally abusing others, but they don't bat an eye at abusing God either. They have no problem with it whatsoever. Now, the, the, the literal term, it means to speak out against somebody or it means to slander them, okay? And remember, folks, the tongue follows the heart, right? Jesus said that himself in Mark 7. The tongue follows the heart. For someone to slander another person, especially Almighty God, Folks, you don't have to wonder what's going on inside, okay? When someone does that, speaks that way, or even uses the Lord's name in vain, you don't have to wonder what's, what's happening, what they think of God, or if they have faith or not in Christ or anything else. It's a given, see? Now, as we continue on in this list, obviously, as you know, it's a very long list, but on all these words that I'm going to now mention, all except for one, they all, in the Greek, they all begin with the prefix a, right? You know what the word a means? You put an a in front of something, right? It means the word a, the letter a means without, the article a means without. You think of the word moral versus what? Amoral, right? See, what happens to the word? You just throw that a in front of it, it changes it, doesn't it? You think of the word a somebody who's a theist versus somebody who's a what? An atheist, right? We know what that means, right? So it negates the word. All of these are, are those words with the word a in front of it. In other words, it's showing the absence of that virtue. It doesn't exist. There's an absence of this virtue. It's not there. It's not in your life, okay? 
So I'll go through these pretty quick, but speaking of these people, he says they will be disobedient to their parents. It's absent. Obedience is gone. It doesn't exist when it comes to their parents. I don't want to live that way. There's the word ungrateful. There's no grateful. I'm not grateful for anything. You cannot be pleased as this person. It's just simple as that. And here's one we can kind of understand. Unholy. Right? Holy with an A in front of it. That's not the Greek, obviously, but that's what it means. It means wicked. It means gross indecency. There's no, quote, holiness of any sort in any way on any level in your life. Okay? You're, you're missing this in your life, is what he's saying. Without love. That's also translated heartless in Romans chapter 1. Heartless. You have no love. (laughs) Unforgiving. You're not willing to forgive. Uh, Irreconcilable. Try living around somebody who doesn't forgive of anything. I don't care if you did something wrong, you forgot a birthday, I don't care what it is. They don't forgive. The hardest thing to see about that when it's somebody in the church is there's nobody in this world who's been forgiven more than who? Us. Right? Us. The next word, and this is the one word I, I mentioned that does not have the A, is the word slanderous. The Greek word there is diabolos, which you can obviously figure out to where we get our word, diabolical. You realize that word is actually translated 35 times in the New Testament as the word devil. Same word. Somebody who opposes God and takes the side of the devil. Nobody says that. But we all know that's where you stand. If you say, I don't care what the Bible says on this, so you're taking up the side of Satan. It's not that difficult. When you see people today, when you see liberal churches and denominations saying, well, we're inclusive, we're accepting of all this stuff. You're accepting of just living in sin. It's it's all okay. But God says, but he's not. He wants you to repent of that sin, turn from that sin. But no, just come on in the door, sin away. Now, we're all sinners. People come in here every week, myself included, who are sinners. We don't live a life of sin but yet we live at a time today when people can take the side of the world, take the side of the devil, completely be opposed to God, and they're welcomed. This is the church. God wants his church to be pure. Next is the word without, hence the word A, without self-control. This is someone who who loses control, really, of his own life, becomes a slave to his own passions, his own ambitions, okay? This is, these are the things that run, he allows these things to run his life. He doesn't have any control, just, just runs with it. Here's a word we don't use a whole lot, but brutal. The word literally there means untamed. Think about that. Talking about a human, untamed. It's it's really the opposite of being civilized, right? You think you would always set people, no matter what you believe, no matter what you think, to be civilized. But he says there are false teachers, they're teaching things, people are becoming brutal, untamed. Here's one that's just a shock. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be, but it is. Not lovers of the good. Think about that for a second. Who's opposed to goodness? Now, the word goodness is a, is a very subjective term, right? We can all describe it in a little bit different, but we all understand where goodness or good means. Who's opposed to that? It's there. It's out there, and it comes in here. Remember, it comes in the form of what? People. People make an effect on other people as they come into the church, right? The next two characteristics begin in the Greek with the word pro. 
okay? And this is, this is, uh, uh, this is an aggressive disposition toward depravity. This is somebody who's, it, it, the word is saying they're running toward this. <laughs> I'm pursuing this. The first one is treacherous, treacherous. To betray someone's trust. Folks, someone will turn against you at the drop of a hat. The person in the church that you thought was your friend, the person that you worshiped with, you saw every Sunday or Wednesday or Bible study or whatever, all was good. You felt like you enjoyed good fellowship with them. But when things changed in their world, you knew it because they threw you under the bus in the blink of an eye. It's the, it's the two bank robbers who go in there together, rob the bank, and the other guy shoots the one guy because he wants the money, right? Or if they make it and get caught, he throws the other guy under the bus in a heartbeat. I don't care what happens to you. You can go to life in prison all you want. I want to be free. See? They will throw you and turn against you in the blink of an eye. And I know some of you have probably experienced that. I've talked to somebody about a church split that happened, and you're, you're like, the, the, the people that, like us, you're sitting here, you've known each other not long, and just like that, they're, they're, just, they're rip, ripping you to shreds because of what you believe or what you stood for. And you've been worshiping with them for how long? Think about Judas. That's, I mean, <laughs> Judas says, this is, this is the Lord. This is the master. And what did he do? He sold them for what? 30 pieces of silver. Sold them. Arrest them. But I got 30 pieces of silver. <laughs> yeah. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus sent out the 12. And there's a lot of things that he said there, but one of them, it says, you're going to see brother who will deliver up his brother to death. As a father, his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Folks, you talk about self. You're not just talking about throwing your brother, your sister, your parent under the bus. Because if all shakes down, somebody's going to die, it's you. I ain't. Wow. Wow. And then there's the word rash. That's actually better translated reckless. I think most translations use the word reckless, which is actually better. This is, this is like someone who is in pursuit of a bad ending. <laughs> you, you know it's going to end up ugly and you're, and, and you're running to it. It means to be thoughtless. It means to be inconsiderate. This is somebody who literally lives under the influence of their three best friends, me, myself, and I. They do it at any cost. They do it no matter the outcome. We can think of being reckless. doesn't matter. At any cost, I'm going to pursue that. I don't care if it hurts you. I don't care if you lose your investment. I don't care. Maybe you guys know somebody who's like that. But once again, folks, these are not just things that happen on the outside world. Sadly, they're allowed to creep into the church. And all of a sudden, people are buddy-buddy up with it. Final two characteristics there are the word conceited and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The word conceited, you might also use the word high-minded. Okay, Sometimes we, we use that term full of themselves. You've probably used that term yourself before. This is how far, this is how far a person can go with this. 1 Timothy 3.6, this is uh, where Paul is talking about the qualifications of an elder or a pastor, an overseer. Paul said, they should not be a new convert unless he become conceited, there's the word, and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. You know, folks, people can fall pretty heavily. You're so conceited, you fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Later in that very same letter, chapter 6, Paul states the conceit is the sure mark of, guess what, a false teacher. 
Again, by the way, showing that connection between what you believe and how you live. Okay? Once again, go watch TBN. Go watch some of these, these false, especially the word faith teachers. You want to see arrogance? Go watch them. Listen to the words they say. It's, it's outrageous. We, this morning, Dave was teaching through Daniel. And, you know, as, as we're talking about that. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar, before he had to go out and, and eat the grub of the field? Um, he talked about his glory, his majesty. Who uses those words to describe themselves? Right? Well, that's conceited, isn't it? And lastly, there are people who are lovers of pleasure Love pleasure rather than love God. When you see a false teacher, that is something that fits like a glove right there. Okay? The word faith movement, call it the name it and claim it movement, whatever. They are living examples of that statement. Now, and I want you to notice, by the way, what I said. I didn't say that they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Do you see what it says? It says they're lovers of pleasure rather than, or maybe you want to use the word instead of, lovers of God. Folks, the true God has no place in the thinking and the living of the false teacher or somebody who follows that. They're in hot pursuit of something. Like I've told you before, I used to feel sorry for these people who would follow the Benny Hens of the world and the Kenneth Copelands and the Joyce Myerses and all of these goofball false teachers until you begin to realize, wait a minute, they're there, they're sitting there, they're going there every week, they're reading their books because they want what they're offering them. I don't feel sorry for that anymore. The Bill Johnsons of the world, which is Bethel. People, they, they want this. You don't want God. You don't. You want experiences. This side over here, you want money. I listened to something two days ago where Kenneth Copeland talks about God wanting us to be rich. If you go there and you eat that up, that's why you're there. You're lovers of the money rather than the lovers of God. You don't want God. You want to be rich. John, uh, John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus told Nicodemus, which we all understand this, this is the judgment, that the light came into the world, and guess what? Men love darkness rather than light. In this situation, you can almost say, they don't want the Savior. They want what the Savior has to offer. They don't want Christ. They don't want to be born again. They don't want to honor God. They just want heaven. Just give me heaven, but allow me to live my life the way I want. I just want heaven. That's it. Pray a prayer? Sure, I'll pray a prayer. Right? They don't want Christ. They don't want to change life. They don't repent of their sins. They just want whatever you say you have to offer. God wants this for you. Great, I'll take it. That's it. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of of God, and they're in the church. And I don't know how much they were in the church then. They were, obviously, because he's talking about it. But boy, oh boy, are they in the church today. And I know some of you don't pay attention, but if you ever get into apologetics, you'll start following and seeing some of this stuff. You're going to be shocked at how many people, how many Christian bookstores you go to, and there's their books. The worst of the worst are the ones who are selling the most books, which is why these Christian bookstores are putting them there because they make money. They don't care what they're selling. I used to walk into these bookstores and I'm like, what the heck? Right, as soon as you walk in, I would walk in there and start flipping the books around. Yeah, that's me. That's my personality. You guys understand that. But I'm like, who, what, really? Because like biggest sellers, they make money, so they want to sell them. But it's filth. It's garbage. It's heresy but they're all over the place in the church. See? All right, now, verse 5. These phonies, these teachers 
who have false systems of belief and, and they have corrupted and depraved standards of living, basically everything we just talked about. They are nothing more than religious counterfeits. They are imposters. They are frauds. They are bogus spiritual leaders who are only after themselves. There's 20 of them on TBN probably today. But ignorant friends, family members, eat it up. You have to be ignorant because there's no way you can watch that and be biblically sound. It's impossible. But they're all they're frauds. They're just literally frauds, Right? So the first half of verse 5, it says they, these people have a form of godliness and yet denying its power. Folks, a, a form of godliness is like having style over substance. You know what I mean by that? It's like having style over substance. It's looking good while you're up here, but you're, you're, you're doing nothing but distributing spiritual excrement, which sorry, that's the best way I can say that. That's it. It's like Jesus said when he finished the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 15. They come in sheep's clothing, right? They look like that innocent, soft, cuddly, harmless little sheep, but inwardly they are what? You know what they are. They're ferocious wolves. See? It's like the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 25. Using, using this as an analogy, he says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Kind of reminds you of the whitewashed tomb, right? You know, you, you have a tomb, it's death, it's rotten, but you clean it up real good on the outside. The inside is still death, it's still rotten, it's still stinky, but that's what these people are. And people eat it up. And because they only have a form of godliness, they're nothing more than religious fakes, frauds. They call themselves today Christian leaders. They say they're servants of Christ. I hate when I hear this one. They call themselves God's anointed. Teachers of the word. But to quote one commentary, they are servants of the devil and a purveyor of his lies. Folks, this is why they're so dangerous. Ignorant, uninformed Christians see the outside. That's what they see. They see the hype. They observe the style. Today we jokingly say the skinny jeans. I'm sure it'll be something else next week. The guy's walking around, right, telling his stories. He's cool. Yeah, I like this guy. Man, this is a great place to go to church. But he's a fraud. He's given you paganized Christianity. Man, it's a problem. No different in the first century than it is today, folks. People follow them by the thousands, thousands and thousands. Even back in the book of Ezekiel, God warned them about such people. He says, by their mouths, they express devotion. I'm doing the work of the Lord. But their hearts are greedy for unjust gain, he says. Titus 1.16, Paul says, such men profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. They are detestable and disobedient, and they are worthless for any good deeds. Folks, these, all these people, these lifestyles that affect other Christians coming from the church that we just talked about here, there's, there's, there's no true power in these people. The Christian life is missing Therefore, even though people have attached themselves, these people have attached themselves to the church. Right? This is Christian television. This is your Christian bookstore. And guess what they're selling? Right? Even though they have attached themselves, their beliefs, their lifestyle, their heresy to the church, 
And they're getting away with it because ignorant Christians, I'm always going to call them ignorant because if you weren't, you would never follow them. If you knew the word of God, that would be going ding, 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 ding. But what does Paul say? Have nothing to do with them. (laughs) Share the gospel with them. Try your best to lead them to the truth. But he says, have nothing to do with them. Folks, everything that we've looked at today are people who were already in the Ephesian church. Okay, remember, Paul's, there's a reason Paul's writing to Timothy, who's there helping. The, he didn't just decide to go off script. Oh, and by the way, don't forget, years down the road, it's going to get ugly. What, that wouldn't make any sense. So this kind of stuff's happening already. It's already in the Ephesian church. It was only going to get worse in time as you and I are even here today, and I can only expect what's going to go on in in 25 years from now. Listen, folks, these are not your friends that you hang out and have a really good theological discussion with after church. Regardless of how convincing they are, how nice they were, how caring they seem, how sincere they, they think they are, you have to take yourselves by the scruff of the neck and get away from them. He says, avoid such men as these. We have nothing in common with them. Nothing. They use what you hold as as truth, as a treasure, as the very word of God. It means something to you. They use it as a toy, a ploy to suck people in, to get their money, to get a lot of crowds to draw people in. And I use this because they, it, it, it's not a cult down the street. It's people like you, like people in all churches today who are listening to them on the radio or watching them when they get home. Well, I couldn't make it to church today because my child was sick. And so I watched this. Are you serious? You really did watch that? Well, it says Christian television. Folks, we live in a world where you have to make every decision on your own. You have to know the truth. You have to know what Christian is. I don't care what somebody says. Somebody can have a fish on their car. And you can watch their life, and that that says a whole lot. Listen, there are three guidelines. I'm sure you can pick up more. There are three guidelines for being able to judge a good teacher and or preacher. First thing is to measure out their doctrine. Okay? Their specific doctrine. Uh, beliefs and ideas that they advocate. What's their focus? Right? Is it Scripture? Is it the whole of Scripture? Is Scripture the basis for everything they do and believe? Or do they jump around to another Bible passage here and there to try to use it to prove some point? Their point is outside of Scripture, but they want to use Scripture to prove the point. Because their point doesn't fit into God's word, but if they use something out of context, it seems like their point is, isn't it? Does their creed measure up to Scripture? And if people belittle the teaching of doctrine, you just walk away, that you're done. And I know people who do that. I know people 10 years ago who would look at me in the face who would come to discover, why do you teach like this? Why do I teach the Bible verse by verse? Well, God wrote it all. So on and so on and so on and so on. Well, teach me. I don't need to know doctrine. Really? You don't? Who to thunk? So I'll just say, you know what? Go out and be loving. You're done. Church is over. Right? Go out and be nice. Go out and do this. Go out. I mean, what? what? People who say you don't need this, they, that's, that you'll share right there. That's a problem. The second guideline is to examine, as we talked about today, examine their personal character, a reflection of their lifestyle. I don't care if the person has, seems to have, comes across with good orthodox beliefs. Ugly living informs you of a godless heart. Oh, but he believes the same thing I believe. <laughs> I don't care. And thirdly, the measure of a godly leader are his most devoted followers. If they're weak, if they're confused, 
if they are unconcerned about doctrine, if they are living in a way that does not reflect biblical standards, that means a leader himself is not godly. Godly leaders will not put up, will not be satisfied with ungodly converts. Christ-honoring, Scripture-loving teachers and preachers will produce Christ-honoring, Scripture-loving converts. There's a reason why, and any church can say this, but there's a reason why a lot of people won't come here. It's because we teach the Bible. We teach the Word of God. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear what makes me feel good. I want to hear you tell me I can get rich. I want to hear me say, feel good about yourself so you can, you'll go to heaven. You know, whatever. They don't want to hear the truth. You always kind of know these things. There's a lot of great churches out in this world today, but a lot of the bigger ones are the phoniest of all. Because they preach, they have itching ears, right? They hear what they want to hear. I've always jokingly said, you know what? This church would double in size next week if I changed our name to the first pot-smoking church of Lynchburg. Just, just whatever they want. Oh, dude, you can go there and smoke pot? I'm there. I'm, it's a joke, but that's true. Religious charlatans, on the other hand, will produce converts in their own image. When you look at these phony teachers, when you look at somebody who, who follows a lot of these people, the Paula Whites of the world, the, uh, the Johnsons and the, the Benny Hens and all these, all these people, there's many of them, you won't find any of them that you will sit there and have a great theological conversation, that you can really just have a great fellowship around the Word of God. You can't. I've, 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 when I was a contractor, trust me, folks, I went to people's homes every day, different home every day, to, to do something, fix something, install something. I always try my best to talk to people. And you find somebody, and many of them are like that. You, you can't have any conversation with them about the Word of God. It's all this hype, this experience, this, this. Stop. Really? You just can't. Because charlatans produce those people in their own image. Charlatans will give you, quote things out of context. And so what are you going to do now? You're going to hear that, and now you're going to talk to your neighbor, and you're going to quote that out of context. You don't even know what it means. You've never even looked it up. But he said it. So I'm quoting it to defend myself. You have no idea what it even means. That's where we're at today. Welcome to the church of the 21st century. Described here in the first century. We've been told this for 2,000 years. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years we've been told this. And look where the church has gone. Folks, there's plenty of religion out there. And it's all under the label of Christianity. Right? You've heard me say before, there's this box. It's called Orthodox Christianity. Here it is. But for how long have people been throwing other belief systems in that box? Right? This and this and this. And they'll pull this from Catholics. We're going to pull this from the Mormons. We're going to pull this from, you know... But yet the box still says the same. It still says Orthodox Christianity. And people just say, oh, okay, good. Good. Folks, let me encourage you, be in church. Be here. I know you are. I'm talking to the choir. Be here. Study with us, right? Study on your own. Study, study with us. Study in the women's and the men's group to know the word of God and therefore guard yourself and therefore guard your family from being the next victim. You all have friends, you're kind of going, I've known this person for years. We went to Christian high school together, whatever. And, and then you might say, well, where, where are they at today? Oh, well, gee, they moved to California. Somebody who's not here today, who's in Ohio, has a, a relative who moved to California so they can go to Bethel. If, if there's ever such thing as the worst decision of your life, that, I would put that one pretty darn close to the top. You gotta guard yourself. You gotta guard your family. You gotta be here. You gotta study. You gotta ask questions. Be involved. Come to the Sunday school class. We we talk. You have questions? Throw it out there. Dave, Dave doesn't care. If, if he only gets one verse done but answers biblical questions, that's okay. It's a good day. Yeah. You gotta know it, folks. Um, it's happening in the church. And I chose that text because it's it's 
people always read that is thinking of the world. But it's not. It's your friends sometimes. Maybe it's some of your relatives. I don't know. And so you really have to be on your guard. Because the biggest thing that's happening in the latter times are people being duped left and right. And when things like that dupe you and it affects your eternal destiny, there's, there's no bigger duping than that. None. None. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time today. Thank you for your word. Um, Lord, it's sad, I feel, that I have to, to do these warnings. I mean, I feel it's my responsibility. I feel it's my job. But um, it's such a sad world we live in. It's such a sad state of the church today. But Lord, we thank you that your word has, has given us the answers. Your word has shown us what to look for, what to believe, what to hold to. Lord, help us to guard our own hearts and minds our families, our understanding. Help us to be involved in the church, to be here, study with us, study together. Let's know the truth. Lord, so many people think, I would never be duped into something off color or weird or upbeat, but yet tell the millions of people otherwise today. Millions. Guide us, Lord, is that one of the biggest threats today to the church is, is not the government, it's the people from within who are bringing their baggage, who are bringing their fallacies, who are bringing their false teachings. I never thought I would ever talk about that all those years ago, but Lord, help us today to be on guard, to be faithful to you, know the truth. In Jesus' name.